it's tough to do with existing structures in a lot of cases because the floor plan is so critical. You can do it. And I've seen, we call it repurposing, or we used to call it that, where we go in and, and kind of make some changes. And I've seen you do some stuff there. That's really cool. But boy, when you build one from the ground up, you can literally build, like I said, that alien spacecraft in relative terms, and it's just that much uh, stronger from a competitive perspective. Welcome to the Michigan Short-Term Rentals Podcast, the show about buying, optimizing, and managing short-term rentals in the state of Michigan. Get insights and recommendations from vacation rental operators to help take your property to the next level. Are you ready to profit from your short-term rental? Let's get started. Welcome to the Michigan Short-Term Rentals Podcast. My name is Tony Stancato here with my co-host, Jordan Painter. What's up, man? Living a good life. It's holiday Viva. season. Yeah, Viva Los Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Just got back. Talk about uh, Michigan vacation rentals. I want to get into that Mexican vacation rentals. Maybe that's the next pod. Yeah, where'd you go? We went to Riviera Maya area in uh, just south of Playa del Carmen. In, oh, my gosh. 85 plus degrees every day sun was shining we get home you know sunday after thanksgiving is when we're recording this the monday after here and it's snowy and cold and everybody wants to go back so instead of a suntan we're gonna have wind burn next week but it's all yeah. good it's good to get away you know and luckily travel you know to mexico is always painless right got back just as as expected on the time frame you guys, the painters would never hold up uh, a full plane of people, right? Yeah, man. Not even worth getting into all the details of the story, but let's just say it was a miracle we got on our last flight. It was a 45-minute delay, and our, we almost missed our connection, and we're literally running through the airport screaming and yelling, and people are flagging us down, and my wife's, my wife's bag, the last straw we almost missed, got searched coming back into the check-in, and we're just... Oh, it was a, it was a, it was a mess. I'm pretty sure everybody on the plane from Chicago to Grand Rapids hates our family. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Like everybody loves sitting on the uh, runway for for 30 minutes extra. You know who doesn't love that? I mean, nobody. Just a little extra. You're still in? Were, were you still in Mexico or was it Chicago at that point? That was in Chicago. Yeah, that was coming out of Chicago. Okay, our, yeah. People definitely pissed at you then. Yeah. Yeah, they waited longer on the tarmac for us to get there than the whole flight lasted, I think, probably. So, yeah. Yep. Nice. Well, I'm super excited uh, for today's podcast episode. Today, we have Steve Trover, just a wealth of information in the vacation rental industry, goes back over a decade and built a very big vacation rental property management company, built one of the bigger or helped build one of the bigger um, softwares. It kind of spun off of his uh, vacation rental management company, but helped with that, sold that. Now he's uh, into something called Better Talent, just hiring, helping vacation rental managers find and hire good talent in the industry. And, you know, I would say most people suck at hiring. So he, he definitely gives a lot of gold nuggets in this episode. I know as soon as it was done, you know, your wheels were spinning, fired up. So I think uh, a lot of people can get just a ton of value from this one. Yeah, really excited about the one of the business he started was Purpose Built Vacation Rentals. And we talk a lot about how important it is to find and furnish 
functional properties that are going to be appealing to people. And everything that we've done for the most part has been repurposing already in use properties. They built from the ground up with the purpose of, you know, catering to those vacation rentals. And that could be easily where Michigan is going. And as the competition levels get, get higher and higher, people are going to have to get more creative and really create destinations as opposed to just a place to sleep. So really interesting conversation we had with him and a lot of, a lot of good nuggets on there. Yeah, and, and one, of the thing, one of my favorite things uh, was 36 hours of pain. And I can tell you when I was in management for a manufacturing company, we used to call, you know, we used to say close the gap. And that was, hey, feedback's needed or, you know, a discussion needs to be had. And we called it close the gap. He has something, you know, 36 hours of pain. For him, it's, you know, if, if you need to make a change in, you know, a, a position, if, if you have to let someone go, whether it's an uh, employee, maybe it's a, a property that you're managing, have the hard conversation, do it, but just know it's 36 hours of pain. And after that, you're going to, you know, you're going to feel lighter going forward. And, you know, a lot of times it's just that lead up to that, those discussions that need to be had. So just a ton of gold nuggets. Again, this guy's been in the industry 25 plus years, president of the VRMA, former president of VRMA, and who's coming to the Michigan short-term rental conference in April. Steve Trover is going to be on the panel. He's going to be talking and bringing his knowledge to Michigan. It's going to be super exciting. Yeah, the lineup, super exciting. The lineup keeps getting better. Absolutely. Super excited for that. And then I just wanted to mention thank you to MKagan92. Left us a five-star review. Says best in the game. Really appreciate that, MKagan. And then we had another review. Great info and network connections solid information on providing a five-star review for guests. Thank you. And that was from L. Brady. So thank you to those that have taken the time to leave us a review over on Apple or Spotify. If you haven't done so, if you could just take a second and head on over there, leave us a review, would greatly appreciate it. And without further ado, let's jump into today's podcast episode with Steve Troper. Steve, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I know we've talked in the past and you got a really rich history in the vacation rental industry. I think a lot of people nowadays think it's kind of a, a newer market, you know, really don't know it free kind of Airbnb and Verbo. But I think you go back 25 plus years, started out in kind of vacation rental management. Would you mind just kind of taking, taking a minute and kind of walking us through that history and then what you're up to today? Yeah, no, certainly started as a vacation rental or what most would say today, STR manager back in 1997 here in the Orlando market near Disney World. I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur, started a, a, several companies prior to that. My mother was actually selling real estate here in this market and would have buyers buying vacation rentals, usually from people from the UK. And she just didn't, wasn't able to find a good manager. Typical story. One of the, the ways in, if you will. And so I thought, how hard can that be, right? So started a company 27 years later, I can tell you it's really hard. So as you guys know, tough, tough business, but really, really fun. Fell in love with the product first as just a young guy staying in vacation rentals and then with the business and then with the industry. And so 
I've been here for 27 years, started that company in 97, like I mentioned, kind of right as, at the advent of the internet. So my first marketing um, plan had basically advertising in newspapers as the n- number one line item, if you will, just to show you, age myself a little bit. Started marketing for other management companies first, grew a management company over time to 400 properties under management across four destinations, did that for 20 years. Also had a real estate company, so that brokerage was 100% focused on STR and kind of growing our inventory, launched an interior design company, had that for 18 years. So we would design spec and build vacation homes with a, a development company that we launched called Purpose Built Vacation Homes furnish the properties um, with our interior design company, sell the, com- the properties to our real estate company, and then manage them with the management company. Um, at peak, we had 100 employees across those four destinations. We were in Orlando, Captiva Island, San Diego, California, and Sun Valley, Idaho. And then I also decided to, really didn't decide to, just kind of fell into building a, uh, and designing a PMS platform, which was initially proprietary to my company. Back then you didn't have 50 plus PMSs to choose from. And so we built one of the very first web-based, in fact, I think one of the very first booking engines, if not first ever, back 25 years ago or whatever, started that process and that became LiveRes. And so that that company, I think has over a thousand users that have used it for running their businesses. It's owned by private equity today, but I was the chief strategy officer for it for several years um, as a shareholder as well. And then I'm the former vice president and president of the Vacation Rental Managers Association going over about a five-year period, going back about a decade ago. So have been super involved in all aspects uh, of the industry uh, about seven years ago, sold my group of companies. Uh, like a lot of people got into consulting, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. One of the things that I got asked to do was recruit. So we did, we would do like, you know, go out exec search and find a general manager. Realized that that was a, a gap in the industry. There was a real need. And I call it the hardest part. If you can get the right people in the right seats, it, it works really well. If, if you don't, it's a really hard business. And so we wanted to help managers solve that problem. And so launch better talent about almost four years ago now. Uh, now work with close to 250 companies across the industry, helping them with all of their talent needs. So that's, that's, I know that was a mouthful, but that's, that's my background. So that's awesome. Yeah. I don't think you can really get much more experience than that. It seems like you've really kind of touched all aspects of the industry. And yeah, I, I was doing some digging this morning and, and kind of came across that you were the, the VP and the, the president of VRMA. So, I mean, that, that's huge as well. So, you grew 400 properties. How long did it take you to, to kind of get to that 400 properties? And what were some of the struggles uh, along the way with that growing and, and kind of what made you lose sleep? Yeah, there are a lot of people that have done it a lot faster than I did. So I was not, you know, trying to grow for the sake of growth. Uh, we really, in fact, initially wanted to just market properties for other management companies. I, I started managing a couple properties early on and thought, this is a pain in the neck. Why do I even want to do this? And so I actually launched a company focused mostly on marketing and marketed for managers all over the state of Florida. So I actually had more properties at the beginning from a marketing perspective than I ever did on the management side. The challenge back then was there was no consumer reviews, so there wasn't a lot of incentives for those operators to operate at a high level. And we kept running into challenges from a service perspective and and got to the point where we said, you know what, if we're going to build a brand and build a real company, we're going to have to do this part ourselves. 
So we actually brought that back into Orlando for a long period of time and also decided to only take on what we sold through our real estate company. And so literally, if you walked in the door and you had a seven bedroom home down the street, we'd turn it down if we didn't sell it through our real estate company because we wanted to make sure we focused on those buyers. So it was either properties that we owned or we sold. And then we, once we really got into the interior design uh, component, that was the case as well. So we would sell a property if it was furnished already, which was relatively rare. We did a lot of new construction. We would kind of go in and assess that property and upgrade it. Tony, I, like, I know you're doing a lot of that, um, obviously, today, um, and that was a big focus. But a lot of our, the vast majority of our inventory came through new construction. We would then do a full furniture package for that property, all of the housewares, electronics, design, decor, furnishings, et cetera, and then bring that into management. And so it took quite a while uh, to get to that 400. In fact, I'd say that took probably 15, 16 years. And one of one of group of those properties, about 65, came to an acquisition in San Diego. So again, you, you can grow a lot faster than we did if you choose to. We just were very selective on the properties that we took on. We also focused, especially here in Orlando area, we focused really close to Disney World, right? So as close as we possibly could. You know, most STRs, there's a lake, there's a beach, there's a mountain, there's a theme park, there's a demand generator. In Orlando, the beach is Disney. And so we really focused close. We also made the decision to really focus geographically. And for a lot of years, we would only sell and take on properties within a few miles of our office, about three because we wanted to be able to quickly get to the guests in the event that there was a challenge. And obviously there always is. And so, so that was, we restricted our own growth in that way, uh, but we still grow, grew pretty quickly uh, over the years uh, from a sales perspective and, and uh, did really well with it. So, but we ended it up with, I would argue probably still today, the best inventory overall in the market because of that, because most managers will just take on whatever comes in the door. So. That's awesome. We, we've talked a lot in the past podcasts about the different markets like Orlando, specifically that are they're light years ahead of where we're at in Michigan, just based on the amount of inventory and competition. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. You said you designed these properties specifically for short-term rentals. So what are the, th the design elements that you look for to set yourself apart in a market that's that competitive? Awesome question. In fact, I would argue that, or say that probably purpose-built and what we did there is my favorite thing I've done in this industry. From a operator, from a VR, STR perspective, I absolutely love what I'm doing today. So, but, and, and the reason is, is that if you think about most products, in fact, you know, the mic we're speaking into, the, the monitor we're looking at, there's an R&D process. Even this coffee mug, there's an R&D process, right? Short-term rentals, they just, we just take, residential properties and kind of repurpose it as a STR and we try to you know make it work for that um, but almost every other product if you think about it has that R&D process so our intent was to develop a, a structured R&D process where we looked at data um, we did focus groups we had to understand what the consumer of that product really wanted and how that was different than a residential property and so I started to study what happened in the hotel industry went back to you know, all the different players like uh, Conrad Hilton and Kimmins Wilson, who started Holiday Inn and Cecil Day and all these guys and actually met with some of the family members and, and studied what they did. And, you know, really the, the impetus in the hotel industry was when um, Kimmins Wilson started Holiday Inn and he designed it specifically for and, and pretty much every hotel room we stay in today, the standard hotel room was designed around 
his his pulling out a tape measure on the side of a roadway in and figuring out what the ideal box was, right? And so I thought this is going to be a little bit more complex than that. What does that look like? And so we looked at floor plan first. So what does the floor plan look like? And I, I say floor plans matter a lot. We've done a lot of A-B testing around that. And having, you know, the equal amount of bathrooms to bedrooms is one, you know, significant example. Having enough seating space in the dining area to accommodate the number of people that the house accommodates. Having things in the property that create a resort environment. I know you guys have done a, a lot of that. And that was really, I used to say the home is the resort as opposed to having a home within a resort, even though we had both. Um, because people really want that private environment where they're they're not at the pool you know, with everybody else. They want their own private pool and their own hot tub and their own uh, home theater and game room and those types of things. And so we started to design those elements. We would do um, focus groups with baby boomer grandmas, with you know soccer moms, with kids. We actually would bring the kids in when we design a property after it was finished and, and put you know white paper on the wall and just ask them for ideas. Like, what could we have done better? What would be interesting to you? as a 12 year old or a six year old or whatever. And so it was that level of really getting into it. And then we would take operations through it. So housekeeping, maintenance, get services, et cetera, and say, okay, what could, how could we have designed this to make it better for my guest experience perspective from an operational experience, from an efficiency perspective, surfaces, like all of those different components so that we could get to the best possible property. And then we also looked at it from a financial perspective, right? And so, okay, how do we build all that the most efficient way possible so that we can bring the, the, the biggest return for the investor? And so, again, I know that was a long answer to a, a simple question, but there was a lot of complexity to that. And I just kind of went into the surface of it there. So. No, that's huge. That's awesome. I just, just out of curiosity in that market, like what, if you were to choose one ideal client profile that's the most profitable and the easiest to manage and turn over, what would that be? as it pertains to the guest or the homeowner? The guest. Yes, multi-gen family. So we loved, and you know, and they're aging out now, but the baby boomer generation was coming of age as grandparents. And so they have kids, I'm an exer, and then I have kids, right? So I have three siblings. And so we come together, 20 of us, and stay in a vacation hall and have done for years and years and years. We're a really great guest. We come back over and over again. We might stay in a big house as a whole group and then come back as a smaller family, you know, so that was a really great group to go after. And now it's us Xers that are starting to become that, you know, I get called boomer all the time by my kids, so I might as well own it. But that's starting to, to happen to where, you know, that grouping and that's going to continue to happen. And the reason why we focused on that in this market is obviously this is very much a family oriented market. You come here to go to Disney World as a group a lot of times and there was a massive amount of people coming here, but the high bedroom count homes really performed the best as well. So um, they produced the most amount of revenue. I mean, we had homes that produced, um, we had one $750,000 a year, one house, right? So it was a 14 bedroom house, but that that type of product was really attractive to us for obvious reasons. So. Yeah, we were just sitting down with a potential client the other day and I mean, we just couldn't hammer home the point enough that really you want to make it so like the guests doesn't feel like they have to leave to be able to do something that they can actually, if they choose, they could technically just stay at the house the entire time, still have fun. I think this one only had pretty much a hot tub and that was it. And that's just not going to really cut it these days. So it was really kind of putting the pressure on, like if they really wanted to perform, like you're going to want to make sure that it's more of that resort type feel at the house. 
we we got to a point where guests would tell us they don't even go to Disney. They, they come to Disney, to Orlando. We don't have an ocean. You know, there's no other reason to come here, really, other than the Central Florida theme parks and whatnot. But they would come here, and they would stay with us in these homes because they couldn't find a home that well-designed in another market. And so my argument is you can put something like this anywhere on the planet. You can design it well enough. The home becomes the demand generator, literally. And so, you know, that was the the impetus or the premise behind doing better to or up better talent purpose built so that we could take that into other markets like yours and go, okay, let's bring a property in there. That's just literally, it's almost like landing an alien spacecraft relative to the, the you know, vehicles around the area. Right. And so it's just going to perform that much better for a long period of time if you design it really well. And so I would encourage listeners to think about that in their markets and like, what can I do and what can I build and design that has, to your point, those resort amenities. It has um, a lot of the design elements and the features that would make it the destination almost over your destination, right? So, well, Tony, Tony, before this conversation, was like 90% ready to build a grain bin house, and I think that just pushed him over the edge. He's ready to go 100%. He's ready to write a check. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, if you do if you do it well and having watched Tony for a bit, I know you will. I, I just I think that you will create something that is really hard to catch up to. Now I will tell you that people follow suit and obviously you know, fast followers, that type of thing. And we have many here in Orlando market. And I'll tell you what, if you look at some of the inventory here today, specifically in Reunion Resort, there where custom homes are built, there's some incredible properties here because they kind of built on top of that. And so that's mm-hmm. been fun to watch and and see happen so yeah it's definitely uh southwest michigan market i mean there's some really nice ones but it's definitely we just keep saying like now's really the time to kind of go over the top and solidify yourself as kind of that you know top 10 property in the area before you know the orlando effect i guess starts to catch up in the area yeah i mean it it will well, no matter who's involved in it and every market you start to see that over time where you know the product gets better and better it's really it, it's tough to do with the existing structures in a lot of cases because the floor plan is so critical you can do it and i've seen we call it repurposing or we used to call it that where we go in and, and kind of make some changes and i've seen you do some stuff there that's really cool but boy when you build one from the ground up you can literally build like I said, that alien spacecraft in relative terms, and it's just that much uh, stronger from a competitive perspective. So, yeah, that's great. And yeah. even with remodels, you know, there, there's just so many unforeseen costs. It's like we, we got done with this re- remodel in a five unit kind of cabin complex. And by the time we did it all, it's like, could we have just right. taken that exact same amount of money and built something yeah. exactly how we wanted it? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, money and time too, which is yeah. the, the same thing, right? So you you put all that time to could you have uh, done that? And you know, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's yes. The, you know, the biggest challenge of building um, from a cost structure perspective is the carry cost of the time frame of building, right? So you got to buy the land, you got to you know put all the permits in place and engineering, and then go to construction. And so speed to build is is pretty important, and having the right financing or However you do that um, is very important to kind of build into your understanding because refurbs can certainly take a long time, but they generally don't take as long time as building from the ground up, right? And so, they do when we do them. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we used to build, I mean, we'd build 6,000 square foot homes in less than six months. Wow. You got us beat. Yeah. <laughs> I think our remodel was nine. So. Yeah. 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 Well, when you have a private equity fund, you know, helping fund it, you know, the pressure's on speed wise, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Did you have a mentor that you kind of, that really helped you along the way during the building of the the vacation rental business, the property management company, and kind of what's like one piece of advice that really kind of stuck with you throughout that journey? I, I would tell you that I had a thousand mentors and, and I know that sounds like an overreach, but what I started to do really early on when I had the marketing company and I would go and, and sit on the desk of the CEO, the founder, the president, whatever, of each one of these companies. So I'd go out and meet with them, look at their, their company and their product, and then kind of learn what they were doing. And so doing that early on made in, in how collaborative people are in this industry, and I know you guys would probably recognize that, I went, I want to keep doing this. And so when I started to build my offices out, I would build them in, in a way that I could do a tour for a potential homeowner. And that was a part of our biz dev is to show them, you know, our marketing and our reservations department and all those things. And we had this really cool tour and I started inviting other managers from all over the country and the world. And I literally, we did over a thousand tours of our company when I was involved in the state, the local state, national and international trade associations, I would get up on stages and say, Hey, I'd love to have you guys come to Orlando and see what we're doing. The reason why I did that was twofold. One, you know, it's build a network. I, would, I like to give back just like you guys are doing with this podcast. But two, when they came to me and I showed them what I was doing, they would be like, oh, all of this is great. Except, you know, why are you doing that that way? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they would give me some tip. And almost every single person that ever came through that does what we do would give me a piece of advice along the way. They would take away a lot. And I get the go to conferences and somebody will walk up and, hey, I, I toured your place 15 years ago. It was great. And I did this, that, and the other. And I'm like thinking, yeah, and you gave me this one thing that changed the trajectory of my career, right? And so when I say I had a thousand mentors, I literally had that because that's how I looked at that relationship was like a two-way consulting thing every time we sat down. And I would also go out and do the same with them. So go, go visit managers all over the country and just kind of see what they were doing. And what I love about this industry is people are generally very open to show you and help. So. Absolutely. That's great. Now let's say somebody was coming to you. They are brand new to the industry. Don't even have their first place, but they're looking to get started. What's kind of your first piece of advice that you would give to them? You know, it, it's funny because most of us, when you start a business of any type, you you don't generally think about like what's the end result I'm trying to accomplish. You just don't. You're like you're you're yeah, I want to make some money, and I, I think this is interesting. Why are you getting? Are you why are you passionate about this one thing? And so I really have them think through. A, do you really want to get into a business where you have a 24 hour a day, seven day a week hotel? because that's what it is. And it's actually harder to run than a hotel because a hotel is a box with a bunch of boxes with an elevator that a housekeeper goes up in. This is a lot more challenging from a geographical perspective, physical structure perspective, add the element of individual owners. So I, I actually have talked people out of getting into this industry as passionate as I am because I don't even think you should get into it unless you are absolutely ready 
to dive in and really love this thing and be passionate about it. Because if you're not, it'll eat you alive. So that's, that's number one. As far as like where I'm going to start is another, right? And so all of us, myself included, generally start where we're at, right? You, you're going to get into the business, you live a place, and so you're getting ready to jump in and you just jump in there. I just happen to be next to the number one demand generator on planet Earth, so it worked out pretty well from that perspective. Also a super competitive market, but was that the best decision? Meaning, is that the best place to start? Now, I will tell you the, the competitive nature of it really pushed me to be really good, but, but would it, would there, you know, should I have gone over to the beach where there was no com- competition, right? Or a mountain market that really didn't have, wasn't served. And so objectively thinking about where you're going to put that business is, a, is another thing um, that I would really think about. Cause I've seen people start in markets where they quickly outgrew the market. It was a very challenging market, hyper seasonal, whatever the challenges were. And if they would have started somewhere else, it would have been a much easier path, a better path, a better outcome, right? So objectively thinking like that is, is key. And then it's like, do you have the resources to be able to do this? You know, most businesses fail. They just do. This one doesn't have a big barrier to entry. A lot of times you're using OPM, other people's money, in the sense that you're managing other properties, co-hosting, whatever you want to call it. There's, there's that, but it's still costly, right? You still have to have, you know, the technology, you need to have the the kind of bandwidth from a financial perspective to be able to get this thing up and running. So do you have the it in the bank to do that, right? And so there's a number of different things. And then do you have good advisors? The nice thing today, we didn't have podcasts back then. We didn't have, heck, we didn't even really have the internet. The internet was archaic, right? Google didn't exist. I know that's hard to think about, right? So going and finding out how to do something. I mean, I used to go to the library right and look at books that way there's no vacation rental books in the library uh, almost today there isn't. so you know there wasn't a place to go to there is today and so making sure that you are getting good sound advice because there's a lot of people out there that you know they're experts and they've been in it for 10 minutes some of the new people doing it are really really great they're well intended they bring in the right people to advise on and bring good podcast guests, for example, some don't, it's all about churn and burn money. You know, they're trying to make money themselves, nothing wrong with that, but are they necessarily giving you good advice? And so I know that was all, a whole range of things again, once again, to the question, but I, it's, it's not a simple one in yeah. my book. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that first answer again, just 24 seven, we're just, we're, we're going into Thanksgiving here, right? And it's like, hey, most people are off on holiday for Thanksgiving, right? Well, guess what? There's a nice little boom during Thanksgiving where a lot of people are traveling and all your reservations are going to be booked up. So then you go from like, hey, I'm spending time with family to where, hey, you're on the clock. I mean, just like a hotel, you're you're on the clock, you're busier during everybody else's vacation. And I, I think some of that gets lost in translation online or, you know, if you're just browsing Instagram or, or whatever, it, it looks a lot shinier than, you know, call it a clogged toilet on Thanksgiving Day. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you can get to a point um, where that's not as big of a challenge for you in the, as an individual because you've got a team, um, but it takes time to get there. Um, I would add just another thing uh, that I just kind of thought about, and that is obviously if you're getting into this business and you plan to scale it, you better understand that you're going to become a leader of people. 
And not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody's cut out to do that. So when I came in, I, I'd never led anybody. I've, I've, I haven't had a job in 30 years. Okay. So I, you know, and I'd never had a job where I was a manager of another human. Right. And so here I come in and I all of a sudden start building this team and I look up and I'm like, and I, and I used to say, I, I hate managing people. Right. Well, better not say that if you're in this business and you're going to scale it. Right. So, you, cause you're going to, you're going to have to, or create a leadership team. And this is what we help do today that, that does that for you or somebody that, that helps lead the team, if you will. And in my case, I, I have one direct report today by design, but it's not easy to get there right out of the gates. Right. So. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. It's definitely a struggle I've had personally in my businesses of, of leading people well. So if you could give a, maybe, maybe an example of like, what, where is, where's an area that you, you struggled and you've grown in leadership and management? So I'm an ex-professional BMX freestyler. I worked at Disney, did uh, shows in the parades, and I, w- I rode for van shoes and traveled all over the country. And I rode at a pretty high level. I learned a lot about, you know, getting up and falling down and getting up back up and all that. And I used that in business. I used creativity from it in business and always competing against myself. One thing I did not learn as a BMX freestyler was teamwork, right? And so because I never really was a manager of people, never really was in team sports or anything like that. Here I am as a high performing individual, all of a sudden now I've got to build this nucleus in this team. And so diving into leadership books, really understanding that John Maxwell, great stuff there, lots of leadership books out there. I have a whole library. If anybody wants them, I'll send them the links of those. And that's what I I did is I dove into educating myself on that to become better at it which is key. You've got to make the decision that you're going to be good. You can't say I'm, I'm bad at managing people. It just doesn't work. Right. And so just like anything else, once you acknowledge you have a problem, you've got to go and fix it. And so having good mentors that are strong leaders, diving into books, putting in a structure. And if you don't, meaning if you just don't want to really be a strong leader of people, you better find that integrator. Hopefully we're going to talk a little bit about that with EOS, but for me today, for example, I have somebody that is at my COO at Better Talent, and I get to be CEO. I have one direct report, he's it, and frankly, most of the time, I think of him as my boss. So you're the visionary? I, and I'm, a, I'm the visionary, and yeah. I get to be the visionary, right? So, you know, it's a fun role for a visionary type of person, right? What's not fun is in what the biggest mistake I probably made in all of my businesses was sitting in both seats, the visionary and the integrator role, meaning I've got the vision, I'm gonna show you what we're gonna do and here's the big thing and here's the direction and then I'm gonna make it all happen by leading and holding people accountable and I was not good at the latter of those two things. Now, I had to do it for a period of time and that's why I dove into you know educating myself on it and I became reasonably good at it but it wasn't my passion. My passion was being that visionary. And so probably as quickly as you can getting that person, if you're a true visionary, that is that integrator that can execute on the vision is key. So that's good. That's good. I heard somewhere that your mantra is the best team wins. I think this is kind of a perfect transition into what you're currently doing. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? And then also just uh, a little bit more about better talent and you know, who, who you serve with that. Absolutely. So I say the best thing and the worst thing that I've ever done in business are the same thing. And that is hire and retain people. Like, wait, how is that the best and the worst? Well, if it was the right person in the right seat, 
it was the best thing. And if it was the wrong person in the wrong seat or the wrong person in the right seat, it was the worst thing. And even worse than that, what I would do when I had the, the wrong person in a seat is I'd leave them there. Meaning I didn't make a change. I didn't do the hard thing of having to fire them or move them into a role they could be successful in. And that was my, is, is literally the big, the biggest mistake I've made. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. So, but I say that's the, the biggest one. The other thing I say about that is I've actually gotten the honor and opportunity over the last seven years to meet with over 1500 STR vacation rental managers across the country and internationally. And when I look at the market leaders, meaning if I go into your market or Orlando here, San Diego, whatever market in the world, and I go to try to find who the market leader is. Maybe they have the most market share, the best product, the best properties, the best reviews, all those things, right? And I look at all those KPIs and I say, that's the market leader. And it's not that hard to, to kind of identify them. And I'm like, what's the differentiator? Why did that company, do they have a better vision? Do they have nicer company vehicles? Do they, you know, what what is it that made them, are they just really good at marketing? What is it? And what I came to acknowledge over time was it was the team. It, it wasn't the vision. It wasn't the, you know, the CEO is just this really great visionary. There's a lot of those in the market. Frankly, you know, visionary, I say we visionaries are a dime a dozen, but those that are able to build a team that can execute on that vision, those are the ones that differentiate themselves, right? And so when I say the best teams win, I'm saying the, the best team in every market is generally the market leader. And that's how it works. And so, and I can say that with uh, a pretty heavy degree of confidence, having looked at market leaders across this country. So, and so what does that look like? Well, that looks like the right people in the right seats. Absolutely. So, yes. So you sold the software company, you started looking for your next project or your next company to, to do, and then you decided to start Better Talent, which hires or is the hiring arm essentially for property management companies, right? People will come to you, they will tell you, or I mean, maybe you'll consult with them and help them determine kind of what that next hire is for them. Can you just tell us a little bit about Better Talent and kind of your your current clients or, or who's coming to you to for Better Talent? Yeah. So again, you know, when I think about what was the hardest thing in business, it was building that team. Those are the best ones. So how can we help companies do that was the, the concept or the idea behind better talent. And before we launched the company, not quite four years ago now, I was doing consulting in the space, like I mentioned, but a, a big part of what we do today as part of our hiring process is psychometric testing. So we do personality testing to make sure we have the right person for that particular job, whether that's maintenance or housekeeping or reservations or marketing, whatever it is, what is the best personality traits that align with that position? Because if you're designed for a position, you're going to not only do it well, but stay in the job for a long period of time. So I'm doing this consulting and I'm helping companies with that and I'm training them on how to do it. And what I realized is that I would do these two-day trainings, workshops, and I would do it with, I'd bring in an IO psychologist, and we'd kind of take everybody through it, train them for two days, and then they would be off to the races, right? Well, the problem with that is that in this industry, you don't necessarily hire every day. You certainly don't sit there and really learn psychometric testing and understand behavioral profiling at a high level. And so when COVID hit and I had been doing this, I'm looking at these clients and I'm like, man, we trained them on, undo, on how to do it, but they're not doing it well. And the reason was, is they weren't doing it. They have all these things that they've got to do from an SCR management perspective, 
and hiring is one of them. And the, the impetus for better talent was, well, you know what, we're going to have to do it for them, meaning we're going to have to help them with that process. And so we launched the company with that concept was let's help people get the right people in the right seats, whether that be a C-level position at a scaled company or a housekeeper or a maintenance tech, it doesn't really matter, all talent, right? We also then looked at it from the perspective of it's not just full-time, it's part-time, it's independent contractors, VAs, whatever that is, to make up what we call your people stack. So you have a tech stack, we think you have a people stack, which is a mix of all these different types of people to do it in the most efficient manner possible. And so what we do today is a company will sign with us. We have a subscription model completely different than you'd see in the, in the recruiting industry, kind of blew up that model and said, how can we do this super efficiently for companies? And we handle all of the job ad copywriting. We set a job target based on a behavioral profile that will work for the position. And then we test every applicant. Um, we handle all of the marketing components. So multiple different job boards we push out to, social media marketing. We do outbound sourcing. Um, we've built a database of over 179,000 people in this industry that have some type of STR backgrounds. So we have the database. And then we reach out and drive as many people into the applicant pool as we possibly can, whether that's people actively looking for a job on Indeed or us reaching out to somebody and introducing the opportunity so that we can filter them through that funnel and make sure we get the, the best possible people for each role. Again, whether that's C-level, housekeeper, does not matter. We do that across all roles. And so we do that again for, you know, we've now worked with almost 250 companies in the industry and we, we're really getting very good at it. We've added to that a technology platform, which is essentially a hiring platform that helps you take people through that process, right? And so it's we're not a strictly a software company. We have a software platform, but we're also a service company. So we're a combination of the two, but we wanted the technology there for you to be able to very easily see you know, them go through that process, make hiring the right person easier. It's not easy, never will be. We just try to take a lot of the pain points away and try to dramatically improve your batting average as it pertains to who you pick for your team, so. Let's, let's say someone is currently managing 10 to 15 properties. They're starting to feel stretched a little thin. They're getting the inkling like, hey, I need some help. But they don't know who that, you know, what that next hire is. Is that something that you guys also help with? Like you'll, they reach out to you and they say, hey, I don't know where to start. I don't know who to bring on first. Will you guys help them identify that? Or is it you guys... Uh, can kind of walk them through that or is there a different way that you would recommend that they find that out before coming to you guys no it's actually absolutely one of my favorite conversations to have and the, and the reason is i'd much rather talk to you when you're getting ready to make your first hire than your 27th after screwing it up 15 times like i did right so you know and it, it's much easier to kind of figure that out at the beginning and then then to kind of go back and clean up the mess if you will and, I, and I'd rather do that for a lot of reasons, but you know, we work on both sides of that. But if you're at the very beginning, here's my advice, and everybody listening can do this. Take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and then across, and at the top left box, put love to do, great at. These are things that you absolutely love to do, you're really great at. These are the things that get you up in the morning, you would do it for free. That's what I want you to list in that top left. Top right, good, to do, good at, like to do meaning you like it, don't mind it, pretty good at it, we'll do it, right? Bottom left, maybe you'd like to do it, but you're not necessarily very good at it. And then bottom right, don't like to do, not good at it, right? 
In fact, hate it. Don't want to do it at all. Take everything that you do. And if you don't have any employees and you're right at the beginning, you do everything. So, and put it on the, those, one of those four categories. And that will tell you to hire first. Meaning the things in the, I hate to do it, I'm not good at it box. We got to get that off your plate as soon as possible so that you can do more of the others and the ultimate goal. And that's where, you know, as a visionary with an integrator today, all I do are the things that I would do for free, like this podcast. I, you know, I, you're not paying me, right? I, I would, I love doing this kind of stuff, giving, you know, helping provide good information to people. I get the opportunity to do that because I've built a team to be able to do that. And so at the very beginning, if you hate finance, you better get accounting in order and you better have a, either a third party or somebody on the team handling that. If you're like me, I didn't really like operations. I, you know, I liked building the structure, but I didn't like operating the machine, right? Meaning housekeeping, maintenance, guest communications, all those different components. So I needed an ops manager really, really fast, right? And housekeeping manager as we scale. And so a lot of visionaries are lend themselves better to growing inventory and, and doing that piece of it. And they like marketing and that that's me. I was a sales and marketing guy from the beginning. I didn't like ops. And so if that's the case, Every time you're out, you know, running an errand to a property from an operational perspective, you're not marketing, you're not meeting with a new prospective owner, identifying a property you want to buy, all those things that are going to really drive the business forward. So it's obviously ops. Now there are people that love ops that can't sell their way out of a wet paper bag, right? So that then they stay in ops, they lead the operational, we go find them a salesperson, right? So it, it really, it's down to the individual. There's no wrong answer. It really comes, it's what you're passionate about, what you want to do, what you love to do that you'd get up and do for free. Let's get you doing that as fast as we possibly can. So. That's great advice. I love the idea of just kind of staying in your, your genius zone, so to speak, just the things that you enjoy and you really love to do and they get you fired up and that's, that's really great advice. That's awesome. Every time I mentally say to myself, oh, I don't want to do that today, I'm like, okay, how can I outsource that thing? Obviously, I, it, it's bringing me down, right? And at the beginning, you got to do it all. You got to wear all the hats. One other piece of advice I would give everybody is create an organizational chart day one. And everybody goes, I don't have any employees. What do I have an org chart for? Well, here's what I want you to do. Just like the four boxes, create all the boxes, right? So what we do with the client is we build this for them and it's got housekeeping and maintenance and guest communications and marketing and biz dev and all the different components. You're doing all those things if you have three properties, right? You have one property. So at that stage, you put your name on every one of those boxes and then combined with that first exercise, you've got your name on all of them and you're looking at it and going, oh my gosh, I am doing the P&Ls for five properties each month and I hate that. Right. And so I've got to outsource finance as an example. So those are, those are kind of the tools that we use and work with clients and kind of advise them on. So now you sound like an EOS implementer. I was an EOS implementer as a consultant for several years. I've done 25 EOS implementations and vacation rental companies. As a matter of That's fact. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We love, we love that program. We utilize that as well. Awesome. Yeah. We're, we, I'm thankfully not the integrator, so I don't have to do the day to day of it, but we are, we, live, eat, sleep, breathe EOS here. So um, that's yeah. awesome. I know we're pushing up on time here, but if you have time for a couple more questions, sure. Impact of a bad hire and impact of the right hire. Yeah. Any, any thoughts around, around that? I've heard as much as like, Hey, the right hire can be 10 X that of kind of 
a regular hire or or maybe a bad hire. I don't know what your thoughts are around those. So this is one of our better talent mugs that we hand out to people. And on the back here, I'll read it to you. It says, people are not your most important asset. The right people are. And the reason why we have that on there is if you have the right person in the right seat, it, it, the, the ROI of that is incredible. And, that, and when I go back and most people, if they've hired people and, and, and built businesses and they look back and they're objective about it, they would say, wow, if I didn't hire Mike or Stacy or whoever, the trajectory of that business would not have been nearly as good, right? And so the positive, the upside of somebody that's just super dynamic, in the right seat, aligned with what they need to do is exponential. I don't even know how to put a number on that. And I can kind of rattle off names of people that I've worked with that I brought on the team that just changed the trajectory of my career. And, and those people are gold, right? And they're not easy to find. The, you, you've got to really work at it and you got to take your time. You, you've heard the old hire slow, fire fast. Most people do it the other way around. They hire the first person that can fog a mirror because they get desperate. And then when they don't work out, they leave them there. I was guilty of it. So I, I literally have been on stages and said, hey, does anybody have somebody that's on their team? They know they need to move them out, but they don't, haven't done it. And I will tell you, half the room raises their hand. The other half are liars, okay? The other half the person <laughs> next to them on a fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what I tell them, I say, well, look, if you don't want to fire them, I will. I'll jump on Zoom with you. We'll make it happen. And I call it 36 hours of pain. And it sounds like I'm like this brutal person that just likes firing people. I hate firing people more than anybody. Don't get me wrong. That's how much I'm passionate about not leaving somebody in the wrong seat. It's not good for them and it's not good for you. And so some people, oh, I can't do that to, to Mike because, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's got a kid and whatever else. Well, Mike already knows he's in the wrong seat. He can feel it whether you've told him or not. You should be telling him where he's failing. If you're not, he still knows and feels it. And if once you let somebody go and the, the 36 hours of pain, most of that pain, by the way, is you not sleeping the night before. Um, because right after you fire them, a lot of really good things happen. One, the other people in your organization see that you're not putting up with that and it helps your leadership. Two, that person ends up going and finding something that they're better suited for and ultimately happier in. And three, you go find somebody that is in the right seat and it's a game changer. And so, it ripped the bandaid off if you have that situation, but a bad person can bring down a company. And I've seen it happen so many times. I can't tell you. So the, the right person can elevate the company and, and really be your success. The wrong person literally can take out a whole company. It can create a scenario where nobody respects the leader because they see that person not getting it done and they're leaving him in the seat. So if you want people to disrespect you, just leave somebody in the wrong seat and see how that works. So. Ouch. Well, this has been a hiring masterclass. So we definitely appreciate you coming on and talking all things hiring, especially in the vacation rental industry. Do you have like an ideal client that you're looking for? Or if anybody's listening, like who, who should reach out to you if, if they're looking to hire? Yeah, I would say that it's, it's literally anybody that's looking to hire any type of talent. And again, it doesn't even have to be a full-time employee. And the earlier stage, the better, but we work with companies with two people and we work with companies with 2000. So, you know, it, it, it really, we were really broad in that respect and we've got a product for, for pretty much anybody in a service. So I just, if you're in this space and you want, you know, to build the best team, 
reach out to us. If we end up doing a demo with you and it doesn't work out, I, I like to bring value in every conversation. So we may not work together at the beginning. You may not be ready for whatever reason, but I'd love to have a conversation with anybody that, that is interested because this to me is the hardest part of the business and I'd love to help you do it right. So the really ideal customer profile, I know that's a you know a big a buzzword these days. It's literally anybody in this industry that, that wants to hire talent. So. Awesome. And I just want to say a couple of things that stood out to me over the conversation was seems like you've been really intentional about any business that you've been in when it comes to designing the property, you know, you're making it efficient, not just for the cleaners and, and, and that, but you're also designing for the guests and all that stuff. So it seems like you're very intentional and there's probably no more important piece than being intentional about who you're hiring. And then I also just kind of get the sense that when you're walking a thousand people through your property or through your your business and getting feedback, you're somebody that's really good at taking feedback, implementing that feedback. And so I just want to say great job on that. But definitely, if you're looking to hire, be intentional about it. And there's probably nobody better in the industry that can help you be intentional about bringing on the right person. So where can people find you, connect with you, or kind of reach out to you if they want to start a conversation around hiring? Absolutely. Three different places. Our website, obviously, bettertalent.com is a place you can reach out. You can book a demo right on the website. It's a 20, 30 minute time frame that we just sit down and kind of understand what your needs are. So we can do that. You can reach out to me via email, steve at bettertalent.com. Uh, one of my favorite places and where I met Tony is LinkedIn. So if you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn. It's a really great place to go find content information about this industry. It's not just a place where you get a job. And so those three places, please connect with me on LinkedIn if we're not already. So we'd love to talk to anybody in any one of those places. So, Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. We'll make sure we drop all those in the show notes so people can reach out, can find those there. And uh, that's Bob. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Take care. Thanks for checking out today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you get a chance, please go over to your podcast player of choice. Leave us a review. We appreciate those that have already taken the time to do so. It just helps us get discovered by more people in that platform. And if you're not on the email list yet, go over to michigan-shorttermrentals.com. Get on the email list. You're going to see it right there on the homepage, and you're going to get four very valuable emails. One's going to be a list of 650 zip codes where we've already analyzed a address and have projected revenue for that address. So you can kind of filter those and see which one has the best projections out of those 650 zip codes. And then you're going to get a furnishing calculator. So you'll get a number or how much does it cost to furnish a four bed, two bath with a hot tub and a ping pong table. And you can use that to really project out your return on investment there. And then also a property grading tool. So you're gonna be able to plug in some information like yard size, number of neighbors, amenities, the cost of the property and the projected revenue. And it's gonna kick you out a letter grade. So our properties are letter grade B. So if it's B or an A, it could be a good property to pick up. If it's less than that, you might really wanna think about is it gonna be a good property? And make sure you connect with Jordan Painter and Tony Stancato on LinkedIn. Send us a connection request there, and we'll make sure we accept it. And we'll talk to you later.